0: Well, the title of the Red Book Magazine article caught my attention, which is why they put those magazines at the checkout counter at the grocery store, right? And So they, the article screamed at me, woman has miracle baby at 35. And I thought to myself, you know, so what's so miraculous about that? I've known lots of women who've had children at age 35 and even older. So I went online to read the rest of the article and it turns out it really was a miracle of sorts. Uh, Allison Noyes is the name of the woman. And at age 20, uh, she went through menopause, rare condition. When she finished menopause, the doctor told her that she would never have children of her own. So a a few years later, Allison got married, and she had another medical exam, a different doctor, and he confirmed what the first guy had said. She would never have biological children. So Allison and her husband decided to just enjoy life as a couple. They traveled the world. They got involved in all sorts of outdoor sports activities. And while they were on a bike trip together, she started feeling fatigued. And she noticed a growing lump in her stomach. And she went to the doctor. And she was expecting to hear cancer. And instead she heard... You're going to have a baby, <laughs> and it did she did have a baby, a little little baby girl named Sophie, born at six pounds, four ounces, a miracle birth. Well, the Christmas story is the story of a miracle baby. In fact, it's the story of two miracle babies, both stories recorded in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. So if you brought a Bible with you, uh, would you turn with me to Luke chapter one? Luke chapter one, and as you're turning, In your Bible, the big question we're wrestling with today is, do you believe in miracles? Uh, Because if you don't, you probably have a problem with the original Christmas story. And that's not all. If you're a doubter, if you're a doubter, you're never going to see any miracles in your own personal life. So this Christmas Eve, I want to talk to you about doubt. I want to talk to you about how to get beyond doubt if you really want to. So let, let me begin by telling you the two Christmas miracle birth stories. And then we'll consider four steps for overcoming doubts in order to experience God's supernatural activity in our lives. So the first miracle birth story involves a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they had wanted children for years, but they were infertile. If you're open to Luke chapter 1, you drop down to verse 7, it says they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Okay, So this elderly couple, both very old, and they were not only very old, they were also very religious. Now, th- this was a time in Israel's history when they were under the thumb of Roman tyranny. But the Romans still allowed people like Zechariah and Elizabeth to practice their Jewish faith, which they did. In fact, Zechariah was a priest, and he had the special honor of being chosen to serve in the temple. The reason I say this was an honor, historians tell us there were upwards of 20,000 priests in Israel at the time. So not everybody got a chance to go into the temple. So he was given the job of lighting incense in a, a part of the temple called the Holy Place, which was right next to the Most Holy Place, also called the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go and he could only go there once a year. So here's Zechariah burning incense in the temple, in the Holy Place... There are prayers gathered in the courtyard around the temple, lifting their intercession to God, and Zechariah encounters an angel, and he is shaken in his sandals, and it's not just any angel, it's Gabriel. Now, the last time that Gabriel had appeared in Scripture was 500 years earlier, when he had been sent on a mission by God with a message for the prophet Daniel. So it's obvious Gabriel's not just any old angel, he's an angel chosen for special assignments. This is a big deal. What's the big deal? Well, Gabriel announces to Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a boy, and you're to name him John. And he's not only going to be a delight to you, he's going to be bring joy to the nation of Israel because he's going to turn people's hearts back to God by announcing the coming of the Messiah, God's Savior. Now, what is Zechariah's response to this announcement of a miracle birth. If you got your Bible open to Luke chapter one, pick it up at verse 18 with me. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for this story. So Zechariah is presented with a miracle. He expresses some doubts about that miracle, and that gets him in big trouble with God. Now I want you to keep that in mind. His doubts get him in big trouble with God. As we turn to the second miracle story in Luke chapter 1. Six months after Gabriel is sent to Zechariah and Elizabeth, he's sent to another village called Nazareth where there is a, a young teenage woman by the name of Mary. He's sent with an announcement. Mary is engaged to be married to Joseph. Uh, she's living with her parents, she's still at home. She would have had, in that culture, she would have had absolutely no social contact with her fiancé during this period, which made Gabriel's announcement to her rather startling. Mary, Gabriel said, was going to have a baby. And if that wasn't amazing enough, given the fact that she'd never slept with a man, her baby was to be called Jesus, which means the Lord saves, and he would be known as the son of the Most High God. So how did Mary respond to this miracle birth announcement? Drop down in Luke chapter 1 to verse 34. "Uh, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So Mary is presented with a miracle. And she expresses what sounds to me initially like some some doubts, and yet Gabriel's cool with it. He's cool with Mary's doubts. He patiently explains to her how it's all going to come about. Now, as you read these two stories side by side, it, you know, it's tempting to wonder, so how come Zechariah has doubts and he gets zapped by Gabriel, and Mary has doubts and it's okay? She gets a patient explanation. Why the angel favoritism here? Is it because Zechariah was a grumpy old man and Mary was an attractive young woman? No. Obviously, Zechariah and Mary had different kinds of doubts. His were bad, hers were good. You know, Luke, who wrote this biography of Jesus, probably put Zechariah's story and Mary's story side by side so we would be led to conclude, you know, if you're going to have doubts about God and about miracles, you know, better not get hung up on those doubts like Zechariah did, better process those doubts like Mary did. So here are four steps for processing doubts that will enable us to get over those doubts and experience God's intervention in our lives. Step number one, this sounds so basic, but we got to start here. Step number one, believe in God. Believe in God. Now, we live in a science-driven culture that puts an emphasis on naturalism. Naturalism is the belief that there must be a natural explanation for everything we see. So there are no miracles because miracles would require supernatural intervention. So if you ever happen to see what looks like a miracle to you, it's not a miracle, be assured, it can be explained scientifically. Really? Because scientific naturalism, listen, scientific naturalism struggles with life's most basic question. How did the universe get here in the first place? Okay, How did we get something out of nothing? Now, here's what naturalists told us for years. They said, well, you don't need an eternal God to get you something out of nothing. All you need is eternal matter. The universe itself is, is eternal. But then scientists discovered the Big Bang and they concluded that the universe had a starting point, that the universe wasn't eternal, and so it raised the question again, so how did it get started? How did something come out of nothing? God you watched the video testimony of a, a literal rocket scientist earlier in our Christmas Eve service, who came to the conclusion that that God, God is the best explanation for what we see around us. And what, once we admit the existence of God, friends, anything's possible. I mean, if there if there is a God who could create a universe out of nothing, then certainly this God could place a baby in the womb of a senior citizen named. Elizabeth, if there is a God who can create a universe out of nothing, then certainly He could put a baby in the womb of a virgin teenager named Mary. See, a belief in God renders miracles entirely possible. And not just possible, but reasonable. Because why wouldn't a supernatural God occasionally dazzle and amaze us with divine interventions in our lives? Why wouldn't He? Sue and I were watching an old black and white Christmas movie the other day. You ever seen Miracle on 34th Street? So you probably know the story of this little girl who's being raised by a single mom who's very rational. She's taught her daughter not to believe in Santa Claus. And then one day the two of them, both daughter and mom, meet the real deal. They meet Santa Claus. They meet Kris Kringle. And there's there's no denying it. And so the message of the movie, and this is a message that's repeated several times in, in the movie, is that faith is believing in something even when reason tells you not to. Let me repeat that. Faith is believing in something even when reason says, oh, don't, don't go there. Are you kidding? I cringe every time I hear that. Faith is not incompatible with reason. Christianity promotes, friends, a reasonable faith. You know, the reason I believe in God is because I believe God is the best explanation for how we got something out of nothing. I think that's a reasonable explanation. You know, the reason I believe in the Bible is because I spent years in postgraduate study, biblical studies, studying the archaeological evidence, the historical evidence for the accuracy of the Bible's record. This is an amazingly accurate book, trustworthy, credible book. And because I believe in the Bible, I believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, all based on eyewitness accounts. In fact, Luke, who wrote the gospel that we're looking at today, Luke says in the opening verses of his gospel, he says, I did a lot of research. I I investigated all the evidence. I interviewed eyewitness uh, accounts. Luke is a medical doctor, a very bright man, educated man in his day, and what he gives us is trustworthy. So if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the Bible and you don't believe in Jesus, I want to challenge you to stop hiding behind your uninformed bias and do some research. Now, a friend of mine named Lee Strobel, Lee did some research years ago, Lee Lee was the legal affairs editor for the Chicago Tribune at the time, a really bright guy, a cynical reporter, an atheist whose wife became a Christ follower. So he set out to debunk her Christian faith, to save her from this cult called Christianity. And in the process of debunking her faith, he became a, a follower of Jesus. He became convinced of the evidence. If you want to read his account, pick up any one of his books. He's got The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for the Real Jesus. We carry some of these books in our bookshops across our four campuses. If you want to overcome doubts, if you want to see divine intervention in your life, you've got to believe in God, which I think is a reasonable belief. Number two, develop a spiritual life. Again, if you want to overcome doubts in your life and experience God's interventions, develop a spiritual life. Have you ever seen the movie Jurassic Park? Okay, the, the original, not the, uh, not the sequels. Uh, the story is about a media franchise that creates a theme park of cloned dinosaurs that come alive and then they escape and I'll let you rent it on Netflix. But there's a moment in that movie when the world class paleontologist Alan Grant, who has devoted his entire life to the study of dinosaurs, suddenly comes face to face with one of these creatures. And he falls to the earth speechless. Why? Well, because it's one thing to be a dinosaur expert digging up fossils and writing research papers, but it's another matter entirely to come face to face with an actual dinosaur. Friends, this is the way it is when it comes to experiencing God in our lives. It's one thing to be religious, to be Bible experts, to have a theoretical view of God, but it's an entirely ma- a different matter to encounter God on a daily basis. It's, a, it's an entirely uh, different matter to have a genuine spiritual life. Now, Zechariah, the old dude who had doubts about Gabriel's birth announcement, Zechariah was a religious professional. I mean, he was, he was a priest serving in the temple. If you're open still to Luke chapter 1, go to verse 6. It says this about Zechariah. He was righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So, Zechariah had this theoretical knowledge of God, but it wasn't a working knowledge of God. It wasn't an experiential knowledge of God. And so, when Gabriel showed up, Zechariah's doubts kicked in. Is all this God stuff for real? So, he's been going through the religious motions, but he's not sure this is true. And this really ticked off Gabriel, who says to him, Look at Gabriel's response in verse 19. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. I stand in the presence of God. I stand in the presence. In other words, I represent this God, Zechariah, whom you believe in your head, but whom you're not experiencing in your daily life. If you want to see God show up in your life, there's got to be the development of a spiritual life. It's not enough just to believe that he exists. Now, around Christ Community Church, we specialize in helping people develop what we call a walk with God. Okay, A daily walk with God. And key to this is the Bible, is God's Word. Because everything you know about God comes from one of two sources. It either comes from speculation or from revelation. Okay, speculation is how most of us get our knowledge about God. We think this or we think that about God based on our hunches and what we've heard. Really? You're going to trust that? It's either going to be speculation or it's going to be revelation. Revelation is the God of the universe condescending to make himself known to us, revealing himself to us, saying, you want the details? I put it in a book. Here's the book. Now I've already told you why I think the Bible is a trustworthy, accurate, supernatural book. But if you've never read it before, let me challenge you this Christmas season. Pick up the Gospel of Mark. Okay, that's one of four biographies of Jesus. I I recommend it because it's the shortest. And if you read a chapter a day, which will take you about five minutes a day, you could read it in two weeks' time. Read the Bible for yourself. Give up on speculation. Go for revelation. Who is this God? How can I develop a spiritual life? If you're a regular Christ follower, but the, the Bible has been a dusty book on your shelf this year, Make up your mind you're going to pick up one of our Bible-savvy reading schedules, one of our journals at any one of our bookshops, or or, or go online, download the app, the CCC app, go to Bible-savvy and become a Bible reader. Develop a spiritual life. You know, develop a spiritual life by, in the new year, making a commitment that you're going to gather once a week with other believers and learn more about God. See, the more distant God is in your life, the less you expose yourself to God, the greater your doubts are going to be, and the less chance that you'll experience God on a daily basis. Divine interventions. Ever ever heard the expression practical atheist? Some of us are practical atheists. An atheist. You know, someone who doesn't believe in God, but a practical atheist says, oh, I believe in God. But practically speaking, there's no evidence of God in their daily lives. There's no interest in the Bible. There's no walking in obedience to God's commands. There's no asking God for direction in the daily decisions of life. Okay, there's, there's no desire to gather with other people and lift God up and worship once, once a week. And so, if I ask you, are you an atheist then? You might indignantly respond, no, I believe in God. But for all practical purposes, God is non existent in your life. Is it possible this Christmas you're a practical atheist because God's not going to show up? If you want to overcome doubts, if you want to see miracles, if you want to see divine interventions, it's going to take the development of a spiritual life. Third, take a risk. Take a risk. 400 years before Luke wrote his biography about Jesus, the prophet Malachi wrote the very last book of the Old Testament. And things were not going well for Israel, for God's Old Testament people at the time, and they were complaining that it was all God's fault. That God had stopped intervening in their lives. That God was no longer answering prayers. And so God responds to the people's accusations through the prophet Malachi. And here's what God says. He says, I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is your cold, calculating, selfish hearts. The problem is your lack of generosity. You know, I have told you to bring me your tithes and your offerings on a regular basis, and yet you refuse. Now, a little background here. The biblical word tithe is a word that means 10%. And God's standard of generosity is that we bring the first, minimally, bring the first 10% of our income back to him. And we say, God, this belongs to you. Do with it whatever you want. Meet the spiritual and physical needs of others with this gift. And the people weren't doing it and saying, no way are we going to give God our money. God, get your hand out of our pocket. And God said, test me in this. So God responds through the prophet Malachi, not with a scold. He responds with a challenge. And the challenge is, test me in this. The only place in the Bible, the entire Bible, where God says, test me in this. And here's the test, God says. He says, start being generous. Start bringing the full tithe to me to be distributed to meet the needs of others and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and rain so much blessing down on you, you won't know what to do with it. What's God saying? He's saying, take a risk. Listen, friends, the reason that some of us wrestle with doubts about God and rarely see God do anything spectacular in our lives is that our hearts are unwilling to take a risk, whether it's a generosity risk with our money or some other step of faith. And this was the difference between Zechariah and Mary. You know, Gabriel announced a miracle birth to both. When he announces the miracle birth to Zechariah, here's Zechariah's response. Verse 18, how can I be sure of this? Prove it. You know, Bible scholars say that this response mingled confusion with objection. Zechariah was not eager to cooperate with Gabriel. By contrast, listen to Mary's response. First words out of her mouth, verse 34, Mary says, now, how will this be since I'm a virgin? This this wasn't an objection. It was a request for more details. And after Gabriel gave Mary more details, drop down to verse 38. This is her final response. She says, well, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary was ready to do whatever God asked her to do. And you think that was easy? It was an enormous risk. In ancient Israel, a young woman who betrayed her fiancé and got pregnant by somebody else could be stoned to death. So Mary was willing to take the risk of this miraculous pregnancy, say, okay, God, bring it on. And God overcame all her doubts and showed up big time in her life. So if you wrestle with doubts about God, if you don't have any stories to tell about God's amazing interventions in your life, maybe your problem is risk aversion. Maybe your problem is your commitment to always play it safe. Maybe to go back to the money challenge of Malachi, maybe it's it's your tendency to be selfish instead of generous with your financial resources, because generosity is risky business. A couple weeks ago, at our weekend service, we showed a video of a young couple's story. And I I happened to be out of town, and so it wasn't until last week that I I managed to go online and watch the sermon I missed and watch the video testimonial before it, a young couple named Riley and Heather, who attend our DeKalb campus. And uh, two years ago, we launched a financial campaign here at Christ Community that's just concluding in a week here. And at the same time in their personal lives, Riley and Heather had two kids and a baby on the way. So their plans were they'd been saving up some money, little ju- needed just a little bit more in order to buy a van. And then they heard about this campaign, a campaign that was going to benefit some of our international partners along the Amazon in Brazil and in Haiti and in Sierra Leone, West Africa. And in best news to them, it was going to benefit our DeKalb campus, that we were going to get DeKalb campus out of a worn-out farm and fleet building that we were renting and build a facility of their own right across from the local high school. And Riley and Heather prayed about it. You know, they had money for a van or they could give it to this, and they said, why not? Let's take a risk. And so they did. And about a month after they made this decision, the risk got really enormous on them because Heather went to the doctor for her pregnancy checkup, and the doctor took an ultrasound, and he said, you're not going to have one, baby. You're going to have two. Two babies in a womb. So suddenly, their little family is going from two kids, not to three, but to four kids. And that van was looking mighty good. And it took them about a week of praying about it and saying, Okay, so do we back out of our, our financial commitment? Or do we go with the risk that we felt God first led us to take? They went with the risk. And oh my goodness, has God shown up in their lives. So much financial blessing in the last two years. And then on top of it, at DeKalb, being, being, being there to see the, the campus move to the new building this fall. and Some of you are watching in DeKalb right now the explosion of growth at our, our DeKalb campus. You know, there's been so much joy over this decision to take a risk and then see God show up that at the end of the video, uh, Riley and Heather say, and now we're praying about what we're going to give over and above or over and above gifting before the end of the year. If you you want to get beyond your doubts, if you want to see God do something out of the ordinary in your life, take a risk. It may have something to do with money and generosity. Or or, or for you, it may mean welcoming a foster child or an at-risk child through our Safe Families program into your home. You know, For for you, it may be signing up for one of our go-team trips to Nicaragua or Haiti this year. For, for you, it may mean taking the first step to reconcile a broken relationship that's going nowhere, and you're going to risk taking the initiative to make it right. And then step back and see what God will do. Take a risk. If you want to see God show up, take a risk. Number four, find hope in Christ. Find hope in Christ. Let, let me note two hope crushers that I see alluded to in the Luke miracle birth stories. And, and, And maybe you really want to move beyond doubts about God. Maybe you desire to see God work in your life, but one of these hope crushers I'm about to mention is holding you back. The first hope crusher is past disappointments past disappointments. When Gabriel makes his appearance to Zechariah, the first words out of the angel's mouth, verse 13, are these. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Your prayer has been heard. Your your prayer has been heard. I wonder how long Zechariah had been praying for a child. Years, Maybe decades with no answer from God. And in Hebrew culture, ancient Hebrew culture, infertility was not just a disappointment, it was a disgrace because people would assume there must be something morally wrong with you, that God is punishing you in this way. And so when Gabriel shows up and he announces, your prayers have been heard, you're going to have a baby. We could just imagine Zechariah thinking, don't even get my hopes up. Don't even go there with me because God has totally forgotten about Elizabeth and me. You you ever felt that way? You you might feel that way this Christmas Eve. Have past disappointments crushed your hope so that you have zero expectation of God intervening in your life? Zero. Now, I, I can't explain why God has said no to you in the past, but here's what I do know. I know that God is wise, and I know that God is good, and I know that God is generous. And so I would encourage you not to give up. In fact, here's a verse to cling to, Romans 8, verse 32. Just jot it down, look it up later, write it on a three-by-five card. The Apostle Paul says, Romans 8, verse 32, he says, the God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So if you're tempted to conclude that God is holding out on you, Paul says, think again. God's already given you his best. Does this sound like a God who's holding out? He's given you Jesus. Second, hope crusher is personal sin. Personal sin. A few weeks ago, I had dinner at a local restaurant with a brand new friend. Uh, his name is Tom, and he's been coming to Christ Community Church for about a year and a half. In fact, about a year ago, we told his story. On, he told a story on video at one of our baptism celebrations, and so we were getting together because he wanted to give me more detail about what God had been up to in his life. And he told me how he'd grown up in a home where there was no love, where his father communicated he wanted nothing to do with him, and so when Tom reached the right age, he Signed up for the Marines. He was sent away to Vietnam. He became part of a special ops force, did a lot of killing, wrestled with a lot of guilt. After the war, in order to fill some of the holes in his heart, uh, he began traveling around as a tennis pro, going from one posh resort in the world to another. Never did manage to fill that God-sized vacuum. And so about a year and a half ago, he was teaching tennis at a club in St. Charles to a group of ladies, and one of the ladies happens to go to Christ Community Church, and she began to share Christ with Tom and said, you ought to come with our family to the church. I think you'd like it. And Tom came convinced that the uh, ceiling would fall down on him when he walked into the church. He said, I haven't been in church in decades. And he began to hear about hope in Christ. And his initial response was, no way, not for me. There is no way that God would be interested. My dad didn't love me. Why would God be interested in me? Think of everything I did in Vietnam. Why would God take an interest in me? I've been trying to fill my heart, my heart hole with everything else under the sun. I don't think God's interested. Just a, just a yeah. sinner, Tom concluded, which, by the way, is what we all qualify as being, Right? Romans 3 verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You may not be a spectacular sinner like Tom, but I guarantee every day in many ways, again and again, you've chosen to go your way instead of God's way, which is what the Bible calls sin. And and, and the wages of sin, the Bible says, the consequence for our sin, when you pull away from God, who's the giver of life. Now, think about that. God is the source of life, and you're going your way instead of God's way. You disconnect from the source of life. The consequence is death. It's spiritual death, a broken relationship with God. It's physical death at the end of this life. And if this problem doesn't get fixed, it becomes eternal death, eternal separation from God. No hope. Until God said, I'm going to send this world my son. And Jesus came that first Christmas to bring hope. Jesus lived a perfect life. Remember what Mary was to call Jesus, the name she was to give him was what? Jesus, which means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. That's his name. So he lived a perfect life and then he laid down his life on the cross. Why did he do that? Well, because the penalty for our sins is death separation from God. So Jesus took the death our sins deserve so that he could offer us in exchange. He could offer us the gift of forgiveness and new life that begins the minute you surrender yourself to him. Have you ever surrendered to Jesus? If you're convinced that your doubts are always going to rule and God's never going to show up in your life, it may be, may be because you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never made that decision, okay, I'm all in, I'm yours. And I want to invite you to do that with me right now. Would you? I'm going to ask you to bow in prayer with me across our four campuses. In just a moment, we're going to light our candles, we're going to sing Silent Night, the moment you've all been waiting for. But before we do that, I want to ask you to make the most important decision of your life. As we're bowed before God, if you've never surrendered to Christ, it's no surprise that you're not seeing God show up in your life. Because the very first step of a spiritual life is to surrender to Christ. So let me show you how to do that walk you through it right now. You're going to need to pray something like this. And you pray it from your heart. You put it into your own words. But you're you're going to need to pray something like this. Cross our four campuses. As you're bowed in prayer, pray, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I make countless choices, even in the course of every day, to go my way instead of your way. In fact, I've not been interested in knowing what your way is. But I understand today that by doing this, I've separated myself from the one who's the giver of life, the foundation of life, and that I deserve death. I mean, God wants to hear this from your voice, not my voice. And so in the quietness of your heart, just say to him right now, I am a sinner. Who deserves death? But I want to thank you that you sent Jesus to take death in my place. You know, that should cause you just a little bit of wonder as you say that. If if you're saying this from your heart now and you're saying it flippantly, then then you you just don't get what a big deal this is. But if you can say from the bottom of your heart, Oh, thank you, Jesus, for coming and taking the penalty I should have paid. And now he offers you a gift. He offers you the gift. If you're acknowledging and thanking him for dying in your place, then you can reach out and by faith receive his gift of forgiveness. He will clean your slate right now. Would you just say, Yep, that's what I want? I want forgiveness and new life new life that begins today. The moment you say in your heart, I want you, I want you to be the savior and the leader of my life. I want you to be the king on the throne of my life. We sing about Jesus coming to be a king. Well, he comes to be the king of your life. Are you ready to give up the throne? Are you ready to say, okay, I want you to be my king? Just tell him that he wants to hear it from you. Now, if you've said that from your heart, I want to do one last thing, and then then I'm going to say amen, and we're going to sing Silent Night. But one last thing, and it's a daring thing, but it goes with what I've been teaching today, that if you want to see God show up in your life, take a risk. If you want to play it safe, then don't expect God to show up. So here's the risk, and it's a very small risk. If you just surrender to God, and you want to drive home The reality, this is what you've done. I want you to stand to your feet for one second and sit back down. Good. Across the auditorium, across our other campuses in Streamwood, Bartlett. Yep, I see you standing up. Up in the balcony. Okay, in Blackberry Creek, in DeKalb. If you want to surrender your, yourself to Christ right now, I want you to stand up and sit back down. This is just your way of saying, 24 hours from now, I'm going to remember this decision because I stood up and I sat back down. You may be a young person. You may be a mom or a dad. You may be a senior citizen, but if you've never surrendered to Christ, do it now. Just stand up and sit back down. Jesus, this is what I want to do. Anybody else? Lord God, as we conclude this, this Christmas Eve service, I pray for those of us who at some point in the past maybe have made this decision, but for all intent and purpose, purposes, we've been living like practical atheists. We say we believe in you, but you're not central to our lives. You're, you're, you're not really God in our lives. And so I pray at this Christmas season, we would renounce our practical atheism and we would say to you, we're all in. We're tired of living with doubts. We want to live with assurances, with confidence that you want to do something special in our lives, each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.